Teachers' desks are clean, chalk is fresh, and the blackboard is ready. It's back to school time. And we're ready with you on the Watchdog Morning Show with Howard Monroe. Everybody's your neighbor on this one thing you can rely. They all come to see you and they never leave you, saying, Y'all come to see us by and by. Y'all come, y'all come, oh, y'all come to see us now and then. Y'all come, y'all come, y'all come, oh, y'all come to see us now and then. Y'all come, y'all come. Do you know who that is? I come to see you. Tell Pepsi, shut up. No, Pepsi, Pepsi, go away, Pepsi. No, I'm here now for you. I'm now here in your studio. Ah, you've opened me up. Go away, go away. You said to you all come. Oh, Lord. This Pepsi is getting me down, pal. Getting well, me down. I can down. see that. Did you recognize that voice, Howard? Uh, who was that? No. That was Bing Crosby. Bing did Bingle. A, yeah, did a version. I thought we'd open up the second hour on Country Day with Bing. All right. Uh, y'all come. Well, y'all come in here on the Watchdog Morning Show. We have phone lines and text lines available for you. Frio Stack auction service lines are up and running at 304-214-1600. Text us or call us if you'd like to. Uh, happy to hear from you. We have been all over the field so far this morning. We'll go wherever you'd like to go. We've got some things planned for you coming up as well. Uh, still rainy outside our studios. Uh, 67 degrees, Wheeling, Ohio County Airport. 66 of the Highlands. 66 at uh, in Elm Grove and 67 degrees here at the Robinson Auto Group Studios downtown Wheeling in the heart of the Ohio Valley as you heard in the forecast sunny to, I mean sorry cloudy today scattered thunderstorms through much of the day 90 is the high so we're going to see a hot day today tomorrow maybe a little bit cooler 85 uh, and at least storms in the morning tomorrow could turn out sunnier later in the day partly cloudy skies throughout the day on Saturday will be around 83 degrees so today Rainy and 90, just sort of uh, be prepared for that. I just went out, Howard, and it's a steady drizzle, and I, I looked around the building, tried to look in every direction, and if I was going to go out on a limb, I'd say it's going to do that all day long. This looks like a rainy, just rainy day. Kind of yeah, it just looks like it. Yeah, yeah. Well, maybe I can. Well, I can't sit outside because my glider is now soaking wet, but uh, I'd like, I, I wish I had a tiny little roof, you know? We talked about putting some sort of a roof on our, just a tiny one, not, I don't want a covered deck or a covered porch, but... I just would like to sit out in the rain, and I was going to, and my wife said, you just look like a fool. Uh, <laughs> the, the overhang on our front porch, our front step, that's not porch, but the front steps, is enough to keep you uh, dry. So I, I went in and I said, you know, I'm going to take a little chair out and just sit there on the front. She said, you're going to look like an idiot <laughs> sitting on the front step in a little chair. So I didn't, but I, I love to sit in the rain. Well, Granddad, uh, two doors down, uh, Jason doesn't have a roof any time, a roof in the back. Actually, he does because he is the construction guy. He built a, he, he added a, a, a roof underneath his deck. So in the space underneath his deck, which is a little patio area, it is a dry area. So I, could, I guess I could have gone down and done that. So that's, uh, uh, that's, that's a good idea. All right, uh, where have we been so far this morning? We had some crazy stuff in the last hour of the show. Everything from the Tooth Fairy to the uh, Russian uh, plane that crashed, uh, roof work done by Bob Slider, to uh, our Pepsi addictions, and the Pepsi I gave in, I gave in. I've got my Pepsi all set and ready to roll right now, right here this morning. Now, coming up later on today, I did not get to watch the debate last night. Grandson Teddy was with me. He lost a tooth, so he was at our house to get his tooth fairy money. 
because the tooth fairy gives him more money at our house than he does at his parents' house. So he came down to spend the night with us to get tooth fairy money. Uh, so I didn't get a chance to watch the debate uh, of the Republican candidates. And although I won't vote for any of them, I would like to hear how they stack up against one another. But I didn't. So I asked my friend and former congressman, Bob Nay, I said, Bob, can you do me a favor? Watch the debate. Take some notes, call in, and tell us what you saw. So Bob Nay coming up a little bit later on this morning to discuss that. We have talked a lot this week over the last couple of weeks about the uh, troubles at WVU. Yeah, I call them troubles. Uh, the changes at WVU, the cuts, the reorganization, the elimination of the language department, the trimming back of creative uh, arts, and so on. Um, and it's getting a lot of national attention, as I've said every day. Uh, the Chronicle of Higher Education has been following this fairly closely. Dan Bauman is one of their reporters, and he'll be coming in with us coming up in the next hour of the show uh, to talk about that. So we've got that to deal with as well. But coming up next is a new report out on uh, fracking here in Appalachia. Um, you remember, geez, how long has it been since we started to hear about fracking here? About 10, 12, 15 years ago? When we first began to hear... Yeah, you know, I'd say 10, maybe not quite 15, right in there, yes. Yeah, yeah. I didn't know what that was. I, I didn't know what that word meant. Did you, Howard? No, and I did not. And it was going to be you know, the greatest economic boon ever in the upper Ohio Valley. Of course, it was eventually it got to the point where we're going to have a cracker plant here, and oh, this all was going to solve economic problems. But a new report is out by the Ohio River Valley Institute on that subject, and we'll talk to one of the authors of that report uh, coming up next here on the Watchdog Morning Show. Why? Just think about it. Why is the number one selling brand of chainsaws not sold at Lowe's or the Home Depot? We can give you over 10,000 reasons. That's how many authorized local steel dealers you can find across the country. Visit one and you'll find a range of dependable gas and battery powered tools from trimmers to blowers. And you'll find service from experienced professionals. Real steel. Find yours at steelusa.com. Lowe's and Home Depot are trademarks of their respective companies. The Highlands is the Ohio Valley's top spot for shopping, dining, and entertainment, too. Play a round of simulated golf at the Four Seasons course. Grab a movie with family or friends at the Marquee Cinemas, featuring 14 screens of the hottest new movies in all digital and 3D. Plus, special promotions like Flashback Cinema. Or visit the Highlands Sports Complex with turf, courts, climbing wall, and an arcade. Shopping, dining, and entertainment. Just off I-70, the top of the hill, the Highlands. Friday nights are for football. The lights, the fans, the band are all set for a memorable return this fall. And the watchdog has you covered. WKKX and WVLY are your home for the best matchups in the Ohio Valley. Friday night lights are back. And we're ready. High School Football's radio home is the watchdog class fresh faces a new school year welcomes us in it's back to school time and we're here with you on the watchdog morning show with howard monroe slide off of your satin sheets slip into your long salt As always, uh, country music, bumper music here on the Watchdog Morning Show, where it's 816, 16 after the hour, 67 degrees at the airport, 66 at the Highlands, 66 in my backyard in Elm Grove, and 66, uh, 67 here at the Robinson Auto Group Studios, downtown Wheeling in the heart of the Ohio Valley, and it is raining. Uh, again, whatever length of time it was, and I guess 
when you get to be my age, you lose track of how long ago things were. Began to hear about fracking. Began to hear about the gas industry growing here in the upper Ohio Valley. Began to hear how everybody was going to become rich because they were going to buy our gas rights and give us, uh, you know, all this money. And then uh, and the, it's going to be an economic boom for the whole area. Um, and has it been? Has it not been? I, you know, you get differing reports. The Ohio River Valley Institute did a, a report recently and released it just this week, taking a look at some of these questions. And Sean O'Leary is with us from that group. Good morning, Sean. Good morning, Howard. Good to be here. So, um, has I, we talked to some folks, I think, from your group a couple weeks ago about a report that was done specifically on the Manesson uh, Cracker Plan. And what we learned there was things didn't turn out as exciting as had been predicted. This is a broader survey that you did about uh, Appalachia fracking. Has, 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 the, has the fracking industry, has the gas industry, let me just ask you in a nutshell, has it achieved what it said it was going to do? No, it hasn't. If what you mean by said it was going to do includes job growth uh, and income growth, no, it hasn't. It's actually done the work, done the opposite of that. The thing that fascinates me, your report looks at this, and again, we talked about this in the Manesson report a couple weeks ago. I really believed, if nothing else, that there would be an increase in jobs. Uh, forget how it plays out in terms of income growth, but and you know what it would mean to the tax growth and so on. But I expected more jobs. It turns out it's not as job intensive as perhaps we had been given to believe. Well, you know what, Howard? I mean, you're, and you're not alone in that. I think if you were to do a poll of folks in the Valley, most of them would probably say to you that, yes, natural gas has been important in creating jobs and providing jobs in the region. And one of the challenges we face is, of course, that among those who seem to believe that are many of our local representatives and leaders who make economic development policy. And as a result of that, you know, it's true that the natural gas industry has had a huge impact physically in the valley and in the region. Um, But at the same time, it hasn't, as you're pointing out, spun off much in the way of jobs. And unfortunately, most of our economic development strategies in the region are conceived as though it will do that. And so not not only has the natural gas industry, the boom, not generated jobs, but it's also distracted our legislators and policymakers who are responsible for economic development so that they're not really pursuing other options at this point. You used EQ2, EQT as, a, as an example. Um, it is one of the larger uh, companies around here now, although it started out pretty small. Um, and again, I, there is a there is an impression that they are very large with a huge workforce. Not totally true, right? No, no. Uh, actually, one of the funny things that's happened is that uh, going back to 2008, which is an answer to the question you were talking about a moment ago, more or less when the natural gas boom in the region began. Um, the companies in that industry don't employ very many more people directly than they did at that time. Um, In the case of Ohio, uh, the natural gas industry actually employs fewer people 
than it did back in 2008 before the boom really got underway. And EQT is an example of that. Uh, the company actually has fewer people now than it did even five or six years ago. And, and I, I would add, by the way, that EQT, for folks who don't know, is the largest domestic producer of natural gas in the United States. One of the things that we kind of got uh, lost in the beginning of this fracking boom, uh, 2008 sounds about right to me. That's when I began to hear things. We began to see a lot of activity because the well pads were just being built. We began to see the trucks coming and going. We began to see a lot of uh, construction, if you will, around the well pads. Um, and, and so it looked like we were turning into a, an industrial stronghold or something. But the problem with the, this industry is, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, that after the initial build of the well, there's not a lot of employment that's necessary beyond that to maintain it. Yeah, that's very true. As the amount of drilling has declined, which it has done over the years, uh, the small level of incremental employment that we saw at first has largely diminished. And one of the lessons that we've learned as a result of this boom is that, at least economically speaking, job-wise, this is not an industry that matures well, uh, because as it goes on, it becomes even less job-intensive than it was at the beginning. Now, setting aside uh, job increases or losses, there are a lot of folks who have been, and this was sort of the, the again, the promise early on, that individuals would simply become rich because they own their gas rights and that people would get, and they did, by the way, and they were paid for their yeah. gas rights. And um, so individuals did make a lot of money off of this, not because they were employed in the industry, but simply because they sold their rights or leased their rights. Yeah, they did. Uh, and, you know, like with any uh, economic phenomenon, there are usually winners and losers. Uh, there certainly are many people who've done quite well uh, as a result of this. The problem is, from a community standpoint, from the standpoint of the entire economy, very little of the money that goes to property owners in the form of royalties and leasing fees ever finds its way into local economies. Um, it's, you know, the stories we hear about folks uh, taking their money and going out and buying a, you know, a condominium in Myrtle Beach um, and things like that aren't just anecdotal. Um, in fact, one of the problems we have, at least economically speaking, is that a lot of the proceeds that folks have gotten as a result of selling their property have or leasing their property have gone to uses that don't really stimulate the local economy. So they'll buy second homes in some cases, or they'll pay down debts, you know, pay off their credit cards, which is a good thing for them to do from a family financial standpoint. But, you know, when you're just paying down debt or you're buying a house in Myrtle Beach, it doesn't really do much for the local economy. Yeah, the, the, the industry has been good for individuals uh, in many cases. I, I would not dispute that, and I know folks who, for whom it has been. Uh, but it has not necessarily been good as an economic boon for the community at large. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it, it, and, you know, if, if I had to summarize it, I would say it comes down to the fact that the region is producing an immense amount of wealth 
uh, an immense amount of output. In fact, if you look at our region and you compare it to other parts of the United States, the amount of output that we generate as a region is comparable to the level of output that comes out of New York City and San Francisco and Seattle and places that we think of as you know being very vibrant. The problem is that when you compare us then on the basis of income, the amount of money that goes into people's pockets in the region, then we're frankly down kind of at the bottom of the heap. Well, I mean, overall as a region, um, if you look at output, we would rank if Frackalachia, the, the 22 counties that produce most of the gas coming out of the region, those 22 counties would rank ninth in the nation if they were a state for output, one of the leading most productive regions of the nation. But if you were to rank them for income, the amount of money people actually see, then they would only rank 41st. Very little of the money is actually sticking or entering the local economies. The first round of economic boom was predicted was for people to be getting money for their gas rights and so on, which we just talked about. But the as we looked at this at the early days, there was expected to be a progression that would lead eventually to, and we have one built nearby, and we're talking about one in Belmont County, was going to lead to this fracking plant idea. And we would then become a, a huge industrial powerhouse because of fracking plants. I think the Belmont County Eastern Ohio plant, in my opinion, is, is, is dead. I know the Belmont County commissioners just recently said, oh, no, we think it's still going to come around. But I think that plant is, is the idea is dead and, frankly, long dead. And we did take a look recently at what happened up in Manesson, where much of what you've talked about here in terms of overall Frackalacia counties happened in Manesson. Employment went down. You did not see economic growth and so on. But I guess, uh, Sean, the new buzz subject are, is um, hydrogen hub, building a hydrogen hub around here. Yeah, and the problem is, as you point out, and by the way, I, I should mention it's Manaka, not Manesson, oh, oh, okay. uh, for the, the shell cracker. Um, but, yeah, you know, the uh, whole notion of a petrochemical cluster Apart from that one facility, which has not made a significant economic difference, none of that vision has been realized. All of the proposed cracker plants, including in Wood County, um, West Virginia, down near Parkersburg, uh, in Guernsey County, Ohio, in the Pittsburgh suburban area, none of those have come to fruition, or are they likely to ever, as you point out. Um, And so that kind of shiny object has been taken away but now yes it has been replaced by the vision of a hydrogen hub and unfortunately the hydrogen hub has two problems with it the first is that because of the kind of hydrogen that we would produce in the area from natural gas it's not likely to be very competitive going forward into the future because there are other better ways of making hydrogen. The other problem is that even to the degree that a hydrogen hub does develop, as with the ethane cracker plant in Manaka, it probably won't have very much economic impact. So again, like you just described, that period during which we saw lots of activity, lots of construction, lots of white pickup trucks running around the area. Um, 
we'll see if the hydrogen hub comes to fruition. We may see some of the same things again. But like the natural gas industry, we're talking about some of the least job-intensive activities in the U.S. economy. And so even if it happens, it's not likely to have much of a beneficial economic impact. Now, Sean, once upon a time, you and I talked about um, a different way that uh, that your Ohio Valley River Institute has seen to um, help revitalize old coal towns and old coal communities and to, and to, instead of looking for natural gas or hydrogen hubs, but but to, to find a different way of doing it. I think it, you called it the Centralia model. Yes, I did. And the really good news about that is that uh, on September 20th, I hope I can book this and talk to you again sometime around then, um, Ohio State University's economics department is going to be producing an analysis of the economic uh, revival that we described a couple of years ago in a town called Centralia, Washington, which is, uh, although it's in the Pacific Northwest, it's an old coal town. Its biggest employer for decades was a coal mine. Its second biggest employer was a coal-fired power plant that happens to be the same size and of the same vintage as the Mitchell plant down south of Moundsville. And that plant is closing. Half one of the operating units has closed down. The second unit will close down in 2025. And that community, far from seeing what was expected to be economic disaster, has actually been growing jobs at twice the rate of the nation as a whole, and incomes have been going up as well. And so what we did was analyze the model. We analyzed what happened in Centralia to make this possible. And we put out a report two years ago and just recently, a team from Ohio State University went in to look at it to see if they could um, identify whether or not the relationship between the policies they adopted in Centralia and these spectacular economic outcomes were just correlation or were they causality. And it turns out that, yes, indeed, they were causality. And that's important for us in the Ohio Valley because one of the other characteristics of what was done in Centralia is that the model is replicable. It's something that could be done here in economies that, frankly, looked a lot like Centralia's going back to the mid-1990s. Um, it, it's, it's really quite a remarkable story, and we're looking forward to September 20th when Ohio State University will be unveiling its report. Well, maybe we'll talk some more about it when that uh, that comes out. Sean, I appreciate your time today. An interesting report came out just this week that you, we've been talking about. And uh, thanks for the work you do, and thanks for joining us this morning. Thank you, Howard. I appreciate it. All right, talk to you soon. Sean O'Leary from the Ohio River Valley Institute. Their report on fracking uh, came out just this week. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of different perspectives on this. This is one. There are those who have a totally different perspective about fracking. And uh, I think probably the answer lies lies somewhere in the middle. You got, am I correct? You, you sold some of your gas rights? You got some gas money? Yeah, unexpectedly here in uh, in city limits, by, by the way, uh, out in Elm Grove. But uh, you know, Howard, I made a really good living uh, in that industry for about six years. Mm -hmm. And you were I, was, man, I was a land man. Land man, that's uh, the one. Goes to the courthouses and uh, the recorder's office and does research, that type of thing, does recordings. 
uh, and they were ver- really upfront with me. The, the the people from Oklahoma that hired me, they said, "Look, this we don't know when, but this is going to dry up one of these days, it's run and out. it's going to run out, and your job will be gone, and it probably won't co- ever come back." I, I, I will say this, as you point out, there was some fairness. I mean, there was openness in the beginning to the general public too that. In the growth stages, signing up leases, building the wells, all of that. And that's when we saw in the initial run of all the trucks back and forth and up and down and everywhere. It, they were, it was pretty clear, they're pretty clear that, but once the wells are built, once the gas is leased and the wells are built, it's not going to be that kind of an intensive industry once again. And, and, and really, Howard, it even started before that. The first wave, the first time I can ever remember hearing about this and wasn't able to have a very clear vision on what was going on, it was the surveyors. There was a tremendous ah. wave of surveyors that came in, and I happened to be good friends with, with one of those guys, grew up with him, and he had a chance. But again, that was another example of, once they were done, they were done. They weren't going to need you anymore. Right. And then, like you said, the people came in signing people up. Once you get them signed up, they don't need you anymore. And then the wave of landmen that would come in and have to go to the courthouses, do the research. Well, once that was done, you're done. You don't need that anymore. A lot of those landmen, at least I talked to many of them, were, were not all like you living here. A lot were traveling landmen. They had been in, I'm going to pick this step, but they had been in Oklahoma. They had been in Tennessee. Then when the they went where the action boom was. came here, uh, I remember a friend of mine was staying at a hotel, um, and, and I went to the hotel to visit with him. And there were a whole bunch of, and they were telling me this story. I said, "Yeah, we're, we're going to be here for maybe a year or two, but then we'll go on to wherever else you know we're going on to." So, um, interesting conversation. Um, I never did. I, I had I had offers, and I didn't think they were adequate, and so I didn't take them in the early days. Um, first time I ever heard about this whole first time it ever came to my attention was when Ogilvy Park sold their gas rights and we found out later and I'm not pointing the finger here but after time went by we realized that man they pretty much gave the park away up there I knew nothing about it other than what I had researched but I remember saying at the time and no offense I love Randy Worlds I love Randy Worlds Uh, I remember talking I said Randy you gave this stuff away you gave it away at the prices they did all right, it's 834, 26 to the hour here on the Watchdog Morning Show last night. The big debate. Uh, well, I don't know how big a debate it was or not. Maybe everybody else is over on X watching Trump and Tucker. I don't know. Um, but there was a GOP presidential candidate debate on Fox last night. I didn't get to see it. Uh, former Congressman Bob Ney did. He's going to join us this morning to talk about um, what he felt, what he saw, what he thought, who were the winners. Um and all that kind of stuff. That's coming up here on the Watchdog Morning Show. But first, Ohio Valley Headlines with Taylor. Good Thursday morning, everyone. I'm Taylor Long with your 7 News headlines on this August the 24th. West Virginia District 2 House of Delegate Mark Ceteslo announced his decision to run as the Republican candidate for West Virginia Senate District 1. It includes Hancock, Brook, and Ohio counties, along with a portion of Marshall. This is the seat the current District 1 Senator Ryan Weld holds. Ceteslo says he looks forward to continuing the work he and Weld had started together. He also says his goals include more businesses, manufacturing, and using river transportation to our advantage in the northern panhandle. And the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms and Explosives, otherwise known as ATF, has partnered with the Wheeling Police Department to host training for state and local officers to strengthen federal firearms, investigations and target violent crime. They discussed available resources such as crime gun tracing and ways ATF and federal prosecutors can better support local public safety strategies. 
This is part of a series of trainings ATF's Louisville Division is holding with police departments across Kentucky and West Virginia. And the future of Wheeling's downtown parking is taking center stage. As part of the project, the parking meters will have to be removed. These meters are decades old and city officials do not want to reinstall them. Wheeling Mayor Glenn Elliott is proposing a new policy. You would have two hours of free parking in certain areas. They would be rigidly enforced using a camera system and artificial intelligence to read license plates to see how long cars have been sitting. Mayor Elliott hopes this idea could free up more spaces downtown as opposed to people just continuously feeding the meter all day long. An IC Care teamed up with Waterfront Wednesdays last night for the third annual Sunset Senior Fair. It features a wide array of vendors within the healthcare arena. It also had educational experiences and heartfelt contributors to the greater cause of Alzheimer's awareness. Event goers were treated to free games and prizes. That was a look at your headlines. Have a terrific Thursday. I'm Taylor Long, working for you. Save on your next painting project with 11% off everything now at Menards. Keep your home looking clean and beautiful with Dutch Boy Paints. DuraClean exterior paint protects your exterior surfaces from the damaging effects of weather, offering crack, chip, peel, and fade resistance. Get one gallon for $32.89 after rebate. Good through August 27th. Savings are a mail-in rebate. Some exclusions apply. See store for details. Save big money at Menards. Hey there, Dave Weekly here. Metro News Hotline presents what's trending in sports, music, movies, tech, television, and more from a Mountain State point of view. Renowned local and national guests pepper the daily lineup with authoritative insights and commentary on a wide variety of topics from West Virginia high school sports to the financial markets. Join the fun. Every day, Coop and I dip into irreverent discussions with calls, texts, tweets, the question of the day, and the always popular in or out. Metro News Hotline, weekdays from 3 to 6 on Metro News, the voice of West Virginia. Time to pack the lunchbox. Check the backpack. Get the kids back to school. And we're right there with you on the Watchdog Morning Show with Howard Monroe. Somebody's knocking. Should I let him in? Lord, it's the devil. Would you look at him? I've heard about him, but I never. to the hour here, Watchdog Morning Show, 67 at the airport, 66 at the Highlands, 66 in Elm Grove, 67 here at the Robinson Auto Group Studios downtown Wheeling in the heart of the Ohio Valley where uh, it is still uh, raining outside. You've been picking some good uh, different bumper music, uh, country music, country music, bumper music every uh, Thursday here on the Watchdog Morning Show. And Bob, you've been picking some some good and different ones. I like it. Some songs I'm not totally familiar with. I kind of like that song. That's pretty good. Uh, it's 840-20 till the hour. Coming up today at 10.06 when we are done, it will be a statewide talk line. Hoppy Kirchival continues on vacation. I don't know where Hoppy is. Um, I know he said he's going to be gone for a period of time, I think at least a couple of weeks. So Dave Wilson continues to fill in. Uh, Gary Abernathy is back today with uh, Hoppy, uh, with uh, Dave for Hoppy. Uh, Gary, uh, former Republican executive committee, former uh, executive director of the Republican Party in West Virginia, now a uh, contributing contributor to the uh, Washington Post, among other things. He'll be in to talk about the debate with uh, Dave Wilson. Uh, also, Brad McElhenney will be in. Uh, there's some controversy, well, we know there's controversy about this Leave Golf Tour. 
Um, it is underway at the Greenbrier. Governor Justice yesterday was saying how happy he was to have the Saudis there and all that sort of stuff. And uh, it's getting a bit of controversial. Brad is talking about that with uh, Dave today coming up on Statewide Talk Line. Uh, I was going to invite Brad on today, but quite frankly, Bob, I realized I had too much going on today to get that uh, going. So uh, we'll maybe get into that with uh, Brad coming up later on. But he'll be uh, he'll be on with Hop- with uh, Dave today, uh, Dave Wilson filling in for Hoppy Kerchival. I, um, I, I really did want to watch the Republican presidential debate last night, uh, particularly since Trump was not there, because I really and truly wanted to get a better feel for all of the other candidates. I'm still of the belief that at some time between now and Election Day, Donald Trump may not be in the game. I'm not totally sure how, but I think it's possible. And I would like to have a better sense of who these Republican candidates are. However, Teddy lost a tooth. And so I was playing Tooth Fairy with my grandson instead of watching the debate. So I figured I got to get somebody who watches it and can actually analyze this thing. So I asked former Congressman Bob Ney if he could take a gander at it and give us his thoughts. Good morning, Bob. Oh, good morning. You had a legitimate reason. I thought you were going to say that you had to open mail and you just <laughs> weren't going to watch the debate. No, no, no. I, you know what you miss? You're reminiscing back to the days when you got to watch Sarah Palin up there. I well, okay. All right. Come on. You, As you well know, Sarah was, you know, I thought she was a goofball, but uh, I know. man, was she a uh, sharp yeah. looking goofball. There you go. Okay. <laughs> um, Nikki Haley, not quite Sarah Palin material, but um, I. Let me just talk about her for a second. Only, okay. only what I read. I did not watch the debate. So you tell me if this seems. Sure. The, the folks I was reading said it seems as if Nikki Haley was angling more towards the general election, looking for more of a, for lack of a better phrase, I will use a moderate ground, uh, as opposed to the far right wing approach to a primary. D- did you get that sense? Yes, and she had the best answer on abortion. She really did. She said, let's not lie to people. Let's, you know, let's be honest with people. Well, she said, let's be honest with people. She really had the, one of the best answers. Because the abortion issue out there, now, this is not whether you're right to life or whether you're, you know, uh, you know, pro-choice. The abortion issue out there is a problem for a lot of Republicans to circumnavigate. And it's changed from the days when you could support the Hyde principle, which was the Henry Hyde who, you know, came into the district for me. He was like a father of right to life. Today, Henry would be denounced because he made exceptions, rape, incest, life of the mother. So this thing has just gone in such a direction. And now Haley, I thought uh, Nikki Haley kind of laid it out. And yes, she steered things towards uh, the general uh, election. No question about it. Somebody asked me, and, and you've got a better sense of, of, of the, the politics of this kind of stuff than I would, for sure. Somebody asked me yesterday, why don't more of the candidates consider, and why doesn't more of the electorate in the primary, consider the general election? That the radical right-wing, I'm going to use that phrase, you may disagree, the radical right-wing, far-right conservative approach, which may get you the primary vote, is not going to sit well come general election time. Why don't more of the candidates begin to, 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 mod, to, to modulate themselves towards the general election? Well, I mean, I think they need to because, you, you know, and I've said this on your show, I said it this February, I said it last February, I don't believe Donald Trump will be uh, uh, coming out of the Republican National Convention. If he's in it, he wins it, but I don't believe he's going to be running. That's just where... 
I, I stand. Uh, and I, you know, I could be totally wrong. But putting Donald Trump aside for a second, uh, the, these candidates should have counted on the fact that they think they're going to be the nominee, and so therefore they have to go after the issues. Now, I would do it because, look, it, 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 Joe Biden right now is neck and neck with Donald Trump after four indictments, all right? <laughs> fact of life. Uh, if you're one of those candidates last night, you've got to know you have an edge if you're going against Joe Biden to be president of the United States. So I would get off of Trump and get off of, you know, uh, some of the just uh, meat and potatoes issue. I know you've got to try to win a primary and get to the general. I think it's uh, it's a good thing. But but uh, again, I didn't see it, so I don't know what I read about it this morning. Right. Uh, it, it, those candidates last night who did try to say we need to get away from this election denial stuff. We need to get away from Trump. We've got to focus more on the issues that will uh, pull us together and will lead us to uh, election victory. They got booed. They got booed. I mean, Chris Christie, um, uh, some of the others, literally, I think Mike Pence, who who basically stood up, and DeSantis kind of defended De- uh, Pence, if I remember correctly, if I read correctly. Yes. But they actually got booed because they didn't full-throatedly support Donald Trump and his election denial stuff. Oh, anytime somebody went after Trump, they did get booed. And again, I understand you can't run in the general till you get through the primary. So, you know, but you still have to kind of balance both if you're a serious you know, candidate. But th- th- you can't get past the Trump thing. Look, uh, Don- Donald Trump, uh, nobody knocked Donald Trump out of anything last night. If anything, they were knocking each out, uh, other out of things. Asa Hutchison, he, he's been a great friend of mine over the years, would make a wonderful president. You know, he went nowhere. Senator Scott was just not there, you know. And, right. uh, again, nice guy. He's not a bad guy. And, and Governor Burgum, I think it is, from the Dakotas, he, he's out. Uh, Chris Christie is never going to win you know, the primary, but I, I thought he was pretty, um, you know, out front about the, you know, the fact of the, what the vice president could do or not do. And, of course, he commented on Trump and his legal woes. But uh, I think the person that lost last night was Ron DeSantis. And I think the two that won last night was Vivek Ramaswamy and Nikki Haley, if you're going to say who won now. DeSantis kind of snuck himself out. You yeah, know, let's, let's, I want to come back to the winners. But let's talk about DeSantis. Cause again, from what I have read, sure. he should have come out. I mean, I know, conventional wisdom, I guess, Absolutely. is that he's that he is the key contender sure. uh, against Trump. You would expect him, therefore, to have come out as the strong person from this debate. But again, from what I read, from what you're telling me, he did not did not come out that way at all. When I was covering the convention last time, you know, uh, the primary in 2016, I mean, when I was covering it, I said one thing that, that stuck and it was correct. If you turn down the volume and you watch Jeb Bush, it was like Carl Rove said, Jeb, get out on that stage. I don't care if you want to or not. You know, <laughs> Jeb Bush was in agony every time he went out. He was twitching and moving. And if you look at Ron DeSantis, seriously, it, he needs a, a bit of Vivek Ramaswamy. You know, he needs to, to get that as an avatar because Ramaswamy's all full of energy, and DeSantis is sitting there. And then the worst thing, the worst visual of last night, they, they and by the way, will the moderator stop the, uh, the, the grade school, put your hand up, please, yeah. <laughs> you know, just stop that. 
I, I don't remember you when you moderated our debates. I don't remember you ever doing that to us. Put your hand up, you know. <laughs> you ask us a question. So, the, but they said, you know, put your hand up about Trump and and would you pardon him? And Ramaswamy and Nikki Haley instantly instantly went up. Who was the other one? I can't remember. DeSantis, you can see him looking right to the left, and then he put his hand up, and I thought, oh, stop it, okay. What are they doing? So Should stop. I put my hand up? Yes, no, do I put my hand up? I'm not sure. I guess no, I will. No. I guess put I will. It, yeah, and so um, I think DeSantis just didn't have an energy, didn't look like, uh, he, he could have done himself wonders last night, because again, everybody on that stage has to have the idea, they're not going to beat Trump, they have to, if he's in it, he's going to win. They have to have the idea he's not going to be in it. So right. they've got to try to knock one of the other out. Ramaswamy came close. He went a little too far. He went He went too far. Well, let's talk about Ramaswamy. He is an interesting character. He is very far to the right, or far to the right, of even Donald Trump, oh, yeah. I think. Um, but he is an interesting character nonetheless, and he certainly, I did see some clips of him. I mean, he certainly took the stage. I mean, when he yes. he, he wanted to make his points, and he made them. Uh, so I, I don't know. How did he do? I think he did well, by the way. And, and <laughs> this is an interesting little piece of trivia for your uh, Belmont County and Ohio Valley listeners. Corey Lewandowski, who lived in St. Clair for two years and ran my campaign, was mm-hmm. Donald Trump's campaign manager, remember? Well, I remember well. I kept, I yes, kept thinking maybe someday, I thought maybe someday when he was working for Trump, he would remember me, but uh, no luck. <laughs> <laughs> And, and now Ben Yoho from Belmont County, who worked on my campaign, uh, is heading up Ramaswamy. So he's really? Belmont County. Yes, yes, Ben Yoho. He's, he's uh, from Belmont County, uh, born and raised, and he is uh, heading up the uh, Vivek Ramaswamy 2024. So Belmont County is very influential, Howard. The so, Ohio Valley, I'll put it the valley. Uh, Bob, it's all because of you. Yeah, oh, maybe, maybe. <laughs> so, uh, Vivek Ramaswamy, uh, I thought he was good. I think he went, uh, you know, it, a little bit too far, being a little bit too kind of a wisecracker. But, but if you ask me who did best last night, and he didn't, you know, knock Trump out and wasn't his intention, he didn't knock DeSantis out, but he did. He did the best, Vivek Ramaswamy, of any of them, and he's the brand-new guy who, who knew him. Right. 40 days ago. Well, who knows him today? I mean, probably half the people listening right, right now are going, Wama, Swama, Huma, Hama, you know. Well, I mean, now, remember, there was a there, Barack Hussein Obama. Oh, yes. A friend of mine the other day said, Ramaswamy can't win with that name. I said, Barack Hussein Obama. There you go. Yeah, that's that's absolutely right. It, it, it's, it's interesting. Uh, the candidates that, again, seem to be of interest to me. Now, I'm not saying I would vote for any of these people. Uh, Christie seems Ooh, to Christie and mean ha- how you said that. <laughs> Christie and Haley seem to be the most I don't know if moderate again is the right word but reasonable uh, maybe I guess uh, and maybe it's simply because Christie is just clearly disavowing Trump which I think is good. Mike Pence whom I never liked as a governor uh, or 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 as a, an elected official because I really disagree with his politics He's been coming across as a very reasonable man. I mean, to me, if I was forced to pick a Republican to vote for, uh-huh. you know, Pence, I mean, he's not hes not a total looney tune. Uh, what he did with the, um, uh, on January 6th, I think, was, was um, brave uh, uh-huh. and, cor- and correct. Um, and, and again, if, I had to, if, I had, if somebody said, you're going to pick one of these guys, you've got to vote for him, Monroe. I don't know. I'd be, thinking, well, I'd be thinking about Pence right now. 
Yeah, I served with Pence. Uh, he took me off, uh, uh, took me on the floor, uh, took me head on trying to defeat the budget I brought together, and, and I beat him. So that's my only claim to fame. He became VP. I didn't. But um, but you know where I went. But he went to the to the White House. But here's the thing about uh, and you uh, went to the big yeah. house. Come on, let's be. I mean, you went yes, to the big house. Well, yeah. the big house, right? And uh, but here's the thing. And neither one of us are going to be president. How about that? Okay, there we go. But, now I'm gonna I'm gonna say this because you'll get all the hate emails and I don't have to answer them. But <laughs> if he invoked the name of his heavenly Father one more time, we get it very clear, Mike. You know, yeah, you're yeah, religious, yeah. and that's great. But it's going to take his heavenly Father to make him president of the United States because Mike Pence is never, ever, ever going to get uh, through the primary. Christie might have a a better chance. I think the candidates that would do best against Biden would be uh, out of that. You know, group last night would be um, Nikki Haley, yeah. uh, probably Nikki Haley first, and then maybe Chris Christie. He's more moderate than Ramaswamy because Ramaswamy's more conservative. Although I do believe Biden is in such you know serious trouble. Uh, you know, how many more indictments does it take for Donald Trump to not be dead even with, <laughs> with Joe <laughs> yeah, Biden? Yeah, I hear you. Yeah, I, I um, you know, part of me all. Be careful how I phrase this. This will come back to haunt me. Right. You're going to get all the hate mail. No, first of all, let me go to that issue. As a, as a Christian, I am bothered by his perpetual um, oh. invoking oh, yeah. of his Christianity. I think, yeah. it's, I think it's great. I also think he is off base in his interpretation of some things. But that's, you know, that's uh-huh. f- fair debate. Um, but I, I, I just, I'm, I, I'm, I'm bothered by that. I, I'm with you, I think. But, but here's what I was going to say. I almost wish Trump would be the candidate because I think because I think Biden would have a better time of beating Trump than maybe one of these others because Trump has the baggage. The baggage is still there, whether people who are listening to me want to believe it or not. Trump has the baggage. Here's Biden's number one problem. And if there's a new Republican, it's a big problem. And, And I served with Joe Biden. And in 2016, when Radio stations, you know, uh, that I did in multiple states asked me, do you think something's going on with him? No. I'm older than when I served with him, and he's older. That's what I answered. Today, no, I'm not going to answer that same answer. His age is an issue, whether anybody wants to admit it or they don't in the Democratic Party. It is an issue. And the albatross around his neck is one question. If Joe Biden, uh, you know, would be 86 at the end of the next term, and he doesn't make it through that next term, who's the president of the United States? And the answer is Kamala Harris. And let me tell you, I could beat her in a national election. <laughs> well, so, okay. all right then. You know, yeah, I do think I, could. I, I oh, do think at some point, listen, Trump is perceived to be more vital, and he's a couple years younger than Biden. And I, I don't disagree with any of your comments about Biden. And honestly, mm-hmm. I will vote for Biden if he's the nominee. But I wish we had a different nominee as a Democrat. I mean, right. I, I'm well, not, well, I'm not way, disagreeing with you. Seventy-eight percent of the country doesn't want either one. Yeah, I, I just I don't disagree with you on, on, on that as, at all. But you know, Trump is also of age, um, mm-hmm. and he is probably even less healthy than is Biden. All of which simply goes to the issue that at some point we've got to start talking about vice presidential candidates in this election. Uh, yeah. if, if it's going to be Kamala Harris, I guess it is. Uh, Trump's got to, you know, who's who's Trump's VP going to be? Um, because in both cases, 
Listen, I'm 70, huh. so I don't, gotcha. you know, I hope I'm around for a long time, but geez, you know, they're old guys. Yeah. I mean, and, and like I, I told a friend of mine, he's a Democrat consultant, he called me. I said, listen, <laughs> Trump gets another indictment and Biden falls down again. Yeah. I mean, is, you know, this is Come the election. <laughs> <laughs> this is, this is, well, Trump's on his seventh indictment and Biden fell down the steps three more times. I mean, is this what we're, you know, it, we're going to go through? It is, um, it is interesting to me. I saw Trump. Uh, by the way, I think Trump is purposely trying to distract from the debate last night. Obviously, his Tucker oh, interview, yes. which I didn't see or even yes. read about. I don't know how that went. Uh, but I am on his mailing list, and he sent out, must have been 15 different policy proposals last night. Uh, he's going to you know, get rid of all the drug cartels, and he's going to all these things. I, I think he was trying to simply flood the field with ideas. Uh, to yep. keep people from paying attention to the uh, to the other the other, and you candidates. know what he's going to do tomorrow? Maybe he didn't plan it. He is he he is going to suck all the media air out of this debate that would have went on for days by appearing in Georgia tomorrow. It's going to be about Donald Trump. It's not even going to be yeah, right. a, a post post analysis over twenty four hours of that uh, debate. Yeah, I mean t- today's the day he goes to plead, uh, not to plead, but uh, to post bond and all that kind of stuff. So right. yeah, the 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 candidates will get uh, a few hours this morning of debate about the mm-hmm. debates, and then all the attention today will turn to Donald Trump showing up in Georgia, sure. and uh, and that'll be the Absolutely. that'll be the story going forward. Hey, I got to ask you about one, one other story, real fast, real quick. Right. What do you think happened to Pergozi, the Russian whose plane crashed yesterday? Who was in the plane that crashed yesterday? Well, usually you have a heart attack or fall out of a window <laughs> accidentally in Russia. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I just said in my notes, I think Putin slept well. Uh, <laughs> you know, had a nice coat. There was some weird. We'll, we'll find out one day. You know, he he escaped from being like directly imprisoned, et cetera, in Russia. He had a bunch of stuff, I think, on Putin, and he did this, and Putin did that, and they let him go to Belarus, and he came back to St. Petersburg. And, you know, I'm not normally a conspiracy theorist, but uh, I don't know. I'd check the mechanics of that airplane. Uh, yeah, I'm with you. I just, uh, uh, I hate to fall into that conspiracy trap. I really do. But, look, uh-huh. it, is, it is Putin's Russia, yes. and uh, the plane yes. just suddenly seemed to disappear, so it's kind of weird. Yes. Hey, Bob, I appreciate your help this morning because I didn't get, didn't get a chance to watch it, so I also appreciate your take uh-huh. on this. And we'll talk again soon, my friend. Thanks a lot. Okay. Thank you, Howard. All right. Former Congressman Bob Nay this morning checking in here on the uh, Watchdog Morning Show. So um, I didn't watch the debate, but I read a good bit about it. And I, all that I read and that Bob seems to say as well is that Nikki Haley was kind of focused more on if we get through the primary, who can beat Biden? Who's the most likely candidate to beat Biden? What are the? How do you beat uh, Biden in the primary if you're not Donald Trump? Um, and I, I, that that was pretty good. That Vivek Ramaswamy uh, was loud and and vigorous, but I don't know that uh, I just I don't know. They're all right now uh, second contenders until something happens with Trump one way or the other. Next hour, more on the WVU reorganization plans, cutbacks, reorganization, faculties being fired, and so on. We'll talk to a reporter for the Chronicle of Higher Education about that. Right now, it's 9 o'clock. Is it 9 o'clock? Yeah, it's 9 o'clock, and ABC covers the world. I paint my gun and dream of Galveston. FM 97.7, AM 1370, WVLY, Moundsville. ABC News.
I'm Derek Dennis, dropping one lawyer, adding another. Former President Trump shaking up his legal team hours before his surrender today in Georgia for allegedly conspiring to try and overturn the 2020 election. In addition to Trump, nine more criminal defendants in this sweeping indictment still need to turn themselves in here. Mark Meadows, Trump's former chief of staff, has been trying to get out of it, asking a federal judge to immediately move his case into federal court. The judge did not immediately rule on that, but he did say Meadows could not avoid surrendering so just like all the other defendants, he needs to show up here by noon on Friday. ABC's Aaron Katursky, Trump skipped last night's Republican presidential debate, appearing instead in a taped sit-down with former Fox News host Tucker Carlson. Eight other GOP hopefuls did debate. The most interesting thing was to see all of those candidates asked, did Mike Pence do the right thing on January 6th? This is the thing that Donald Trump despises him for, effectively calls him a traitor. And all of the candidates on that stage said that Mike Pence did the right thing. ABC's Jonathan Carl. Also last night, a deadly shooting at a Los Angeles area biker bar. Three killed, five others wounded. The suspect shot dead. About 7.08 p.m., our deputies contacted a male subject who was armed with a gun. A deputy-involved shooting occurred, and the male subject was pronounced deceased at the scene. Sheriff Sergeant Frank Gonzalez, all on board, killed in the downing of a Russian jet belonging to mercenary leader Yevgeny Prigozhin, and it happened just weeks after he tried to carry out a government coup against Vladimir Putin's regime. Prigozhin last seen in video two days ago, bragging he was back to business in Africa, where his group is accused of murdering and torturing civilians. But with questions swirling about the fate of Prigozhin's last flight, President Putin at a concert, the Russian leader smiling and seemingly at ease. ABC's Tom Sufi Burridge. On Maui, a staggering $6 billion in estimated damage from the island's wildfires, 115 people confirmed killed. You're listening to ABC News. At Fisher Investments, we do things differently, and other money managers don't understand why. Because our way works great for us. But it may not work for your clients. That's why Fisher Investments is a fiduciary obligated to put clients first. It's the highest standard for a financial advisor. So what do you provide? Cookie cutter portfolios like the rest of us? No cookie cutter portfolios here. Fisher Investments tailors portfolios to meet each client's goals and needs. But you do sell investments that earn you high commissions, right? And make commissions when you make trades for your clients? No, Fisher Investments doesn't sell any commission investment products, and we never earn commissions on trades. So what's in it for you? Fisher Investments fees are structured so we do better when our clients do better. When it comes to helping clients achieve a comfortable retirement, we're clearly different. Visit FisherInvestments.com to find out why investors like you switch to us. Fisher Investments, clearly different money management. Investments in securities involve the risk of loss. A major slowdown in the trial of Brian Koberger, accused of killing four University of Idaho students. In a hearing, he waived his right to a speedy trial. It was supposed to start in October, but that's now on hold. Watchdog groups now accusing YouTube of breaking promises about serving up ads to kids. They say the ads could violate federal law. It is another day of dangerous heat and humidity across large parts of the country today. We're looking at temperatures tomorrow measured in the shade without humidity. 102 in St. Louis, 102 in Kansas City, 100 potentially in Chicago. That'll be the first 100 in over a decade. Fold in the humidity and then we get dangerous. 115 in St. Louis. But again, short-lived, a bit of a break for the Midwest after tomorrow, but not for the South. Dallas, New Orleans, and Tampa, well up and over 100, 110 in some spots. Dangerous heat for those folks. ABC News Senior Meteorologist Rob Marciano. When it comes to 
feeling safe in a big city. A lot of people thinking the place to be is Texas. Based on phone interviews with just over 1,000 adults in all 50 states last month, Gallup found that 74% of respondents described Dallas as safe, even if they had never been there. Boston was close behind at 72%. Chicago and Detroit were at the bottom of the list of 16 cities. But perceptions are based largely on headlines. After Hurricane Katrina ravaged the city in 2005, New Orleans was considered dangerous. Now more than half of Americans say they'd feel safe living or working there. Jim Ryan, ABC News. This is ABC News. Let's be real. Mopping is a hassle. You have to fill the bucket. 